Good evening, everyone. Welcome again to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. If you have your copy of the Scripture, God's Word, please open with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 13. I do not, uh, I don't uh, pause, I don't uh, hesitate to tell you that uh, I am, have a knot in my stomach in trying to preach this. This is some uh, scripture that is uh, always regarded as eschatology, as uh, uh, last days scripture. And uh, there are some things that I believe have been misunderstood about this passage of Scripture. And I think we need to go slowly and find out what the Scripture says, not uh, what we think about it, not what we have heard about it, but what Scripture actually says to us. So we will read the entire chapter and uh, then... Uh, we'll get started, but, but first, let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, how desperately we need you this, this evening. I, I pray for uh, the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Oh, I pray for understanding. I pray that you would open our minds, our hearts to understand the truth and then help us, Lord, to apply it and to live our lives in the light of it. I pray, oh Father, that you would protect us from misunderstanding and preaching anything that would be wrong or deceptive. I pray, Lord, that you would cause your truth to be heard, proclaimed, and rejoiced. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's begin our scripture reading in verse number one of chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no man leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will raise, rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that, in, that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory, with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out uh, its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, 
nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, which he leaves when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, let, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Well, uh, again, we as we read this, you, I, I know you noticed that there are some very confusing uh, uh, words or statements that Jesus made here. And it is a difficult passage to deal with. But we're going to start with it and we're going to just pray our way through it and seek God's will through it. But there's some things that we need to understand before we even get started. And the first thing I want to say is that uh, in the scripture, there is only one story. The whole scripture is only one story, and it only has one author, right? Amen. That's God. Mm -hmm. It is the God-inspired word. It's the uh, breathed-out word of God. It's his very breath, and it reveals to us one message. That message is the gospel or the history, the unfolding, I should say, of redemption. God's purpose is that his people would be in one place and he in the midst. And that's what the whole culmination of all things is. Now, when we say that the scripture, both Old and New Testaments, are is one story with one author, then that kind of helps us to understand that it can be its own commentary. Right? Have you noticed as uh, Art, uh, Pastor Art, is teaching in the mornings, in the minor prophets, how many of those prophecies that he's reading, how many of the things that he reads that maybe when uh, they were being written, they had no idea that these were messianic prophecies. But when Jesus came and as he was uh, uh, suffering, on the cross and as he arose from the dead and after his resurrection when he uh, instructed his disciples before his ascension, it became, it became clear that there were loads of messianic prophecies and truths concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament. And so that is... Uh, uh, that helps us, I think, to understand we know who the author is. 
And we know what his purpose is. He wants his people gathered to him. And he has uh, uh, many reasons why he does these things. And he reveals some of them to us through the scripture. But uh, he gives through the scripture warnings and prophecies and promises. Now, the scripture is full of uh, warnings to the people of Israel, right? You see, there were two, there's two covenants that we need to think about when we look at chapter 13. There are two covenants that uh, are very important for us to understand. There is the old covenant, which was given at Mount Sinai. It's the law of Moses that created such a high standard that no one has ever been able to keep it completely except Jesus Christ himself. You know, I, uh, I may have said this before, but when God gave the law, he did not give it so that Israel would say, yeah, I could do that. That's kind of the way they did, though, right? They said, yeah, whatever he commands, we'll do it. But, they, but really, the reason for that great high standard, he, he gave also the priesthood and the system of sacrifices right along with it, didn't he? And so the, the, real, the, the real purpose that God had in giving that to Israel is that they would say, oh, no. I can't do that and run to their flock and get their best lamb and, and say, take this as a substitute. So the law is, was the first covenant and there were warnings associated with it, right? Warnings that if they did not obey, they would fall under the judgment of God. And they did not obey, and the judgment of God came on them repeatedly. And as those cycles of uh, judgment, repentance, and, and returning to God, and then uh, falling away again, and judgment, and repent, as those things are taking place, the, the whole panorama of, of redemptive glory is being unfolded. And we see things that uh, uh, happen that are a foreshadowing of things that are going to happen. So there are warnings, there are prophecies that uh, there will be a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter number 31 talks about that new covenant. It's quoted several times in the New Testament. That new covenant where God will put his law in our hearts and in our minds. Right? You, are you, get, you, you staying with me? He's going to put his law in our hearts and in our minds. And Jesus is the one who ratifies that new covenant. He is the one who institutes that new covenant. He comes to the temple 
on this, uh, uh, this occasion that we've been studying in the Gospel of Mark in the last uh, two or three chapters, we've been studying how Jesus comes to the temple, presents himself as the Messiah. He comes just like the prophecies said that he would come. He comes into the temple through the eastern gate and he sees the temple and he pronounces judgment on all the evil works that are going on in that temple so this has come to the end of the old covenant and Jesus is here to institute that new covenant let me just read a a, a a prophecy, and uh, Pastor Art will get to it uh, very soon, but in Malachi chapter 3, in verse number 1, listen. He said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So, you know who that was, right? John the Baptist, right? Okay, now, listen to the next verse. And the Lord... Whom ye seek, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah. The Lord whom ye seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus <coughs> has come. Just as the scripture said he would. Behold, chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord. Now, isn't that normally, uh, as we've heard Pastor Art teaching, the day of the Lord, that always uh, makes us think of judgment, right? The day of the Lord is coming. The day when God brings his judgment on people. He's been warning them. And so what we see here is a day of judgment. Jesus is leaving the temple. He's going out that eastern gate. And he's going across the valley to the Mount of Olives. Exactly like Ezekiel saw it happening. When he saw the glory departing from the temple. Pastor Russ talked uh, some about the temple this morning and uh, what uh, the book of Ezekiel uh, says about the, the temple and what was going on in the temple. But Jesus has come and he's seen all the, uh, the sin that is in there. And as Pastor Russ talked about, there were uh, people who were uh, had an outward show of religion. There were the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and there were all those religious leaders who uh, were outwardly dedicated to the law. But inwardly their 
hearts were filthy. They were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping money. They were worshiping uh, prestige. They were worshiping the praise of men. That was where their heart was, not after God. And so they were so darkened by their sin, by the inward uh, uh, vileness of their character, that when the Messiah that they had supposedly been looking for all these years when he showed up they didn't get it they didn't recognize him so it's a it's a terrible thing as jesus leaves the temple it's a judgment it is a time of judgment you say well you know it doesn't seem all that bad to me man do you not get it when jesus removes himself from a person or a nation or the temple that's devastating it's a day of judgment if you don't mind, I want to read Matthew. I know it'll take a little time, but I want to read Matthew chapter 23 because Matthew chapter 23, and, and listen, the companion passages that we can find in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke chapter 21 uh, are Matthew's and Luke's uh, account of the very same things. But Matthew has a lot more to say <coughs> about what Jesus said to the uh, people of uh, the religious leaders before he left the temple. And I'll start reading in verse number 13. But you should follow along with me. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. And here's, these are the words of Jesus now. But woe to you, he pronounces seven woes upon the religious leaders. He said, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travail or travel across sea and land, to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Whosoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whosoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever 
swears by the he by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You ought to have done without... These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, listen to this, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that, so that, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel <coughs> to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Was Jesus angry? <laughs> Was Jesus was Jesus pouring out a, a degree of wrath on them in his language? Was he accusing them? Was he looking straight down into their hearts and seeing what was really there? And these are the reasons why when he came into the temple after he arrived on the donkey and he went into the temple and looked around, he turns around and goes back out to Bethany and then the next day he comes in and starts cleaning house, doesn't he? This is a day of judgment. But listen... Not only that, but look at the next verses. Verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
How often would I have gathered your children together? <clears throat> As a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This same Jesus who was crying out in anger at the filth and the vileness that was in the hearts of those religious leaders, at the same time had a heart of compassion. Isn't that amazing? In Ezekiel chapter 33, I think it's verse number 11, somewhere around there, he said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He is a God of a tender heart. He will receive those who repent and come to him. But don't you think that just because he has a tender heart that he will not judge you. He judged Israel. And so this is what is happening in chapter 23 of uh, Matthew, then the very next verse, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So this was uh, a beautiful place. I mean, it was something to behold. According to what I've read, this was uh, the... Uh, uh, temple that Zerubbabel and uh, uh, his companions built that we have uh, heard about in the uh, <clears throat> the study of the minor prophets, and it was built onto, re, uh, uh, remodeled, and built onto, and extended by Herod, and it was a, a huge place, and it had gold coverings and it had all kinds of beautiful marble and things like that and they say that uh, when the sun would come up in the east it would be almost blindingly beautiful but <clears throat> Jesus is not impressed by buildings God is not impressed by buildings yes we should give him the very best. And yes, we should try to uh, uh, use everything that we have to exalt him. But listen, he does not dwell in buildings made with hands. The wrath of God was on them. And just as Ezekiel <coughs> saw it back in Ezekiel chapter 11... In verse number 23, well, let me start in verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mount that is on the east side of the city. What's that mount? Okay. It's Olive 
the Mount of Olives. <laughs> it's Olivet. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus <clears throat> is the glory of God. And he's going out of the temple. I don't know if that was the last time. I don't know for sure if the court where the uh, where he was judged by the uh, council, if that was in part of the temple, but it was his last time as far as any time that they could worship him and adore him for who he was. He goes out to the Mount of Olives and he uh, begins to sit down there. And then the verses three and four, we find... That as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And so uh, Jesus <clears throat> has uh, just told them about the temple is going to be destroyed, that it's going to, there's not going to be any stone left upon another. Did I not? I failed to read that, didn't I? He came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, uh, what wonderful stones. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he has, uh, uh, prophesied the destruction of the temple and it did happen just like he said it did happen just uh, uh 30 some years after that time or maybe less than 40 years after that time that actually happened the uh, uh roman uh soldier the roman leaders the uh, Roman government sent troops to swarm the place, and they literally tore the temple down in A.D. 70. And so Jesus is prophesying that, and his disciples want to know when. We, we need to know more about that. When is that going to be? And then Jesus answers in... Uh, <clears throat> Verse number five, <clears throat> five and six. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And so first of all, he says that there's, going to be a time of religious deception. And this was going to happen in their time. He's not just talking about the future. There's always been religious deception. But Jesus is telling them that in their near future, they're going to see a great amount of religious deception. And then he goes on to say, 
in verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. And so the wars and rumors of wars, it's a time of political unrest. Now, you say, well, that doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't really surprise me. I mean, people have been at war uh, for uh, ever since time began, you know. Well, that's true, but you've got to remember that at the time Jesus said that, they, were a, uh, they had been occupied by Rome, and Rome had what was called or was experiencing what was called the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. They had conquered all the uh, uh, area that they felt like they needed to conquer, and there was no battles going on. And so when Jesus said this, this had some significance. The Pax Romana is not going to endure. It's going, there's going to come a time of political unrest in spite of the Pax Romana. And then, in, uh, <clears throat> then he inserts something here. Before we get to the next set of, uh, of things that he's prophesying, he says, do not be alarmed. This must, must take place, but the end is not yet. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. And then he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. So there's not only going to be uh, there's not only going to be religious deception and political unrest, but there's going to be a time of great natural disasters. And you can <clears throat> read historical accounts of the fact that those very things happen. But listen to what he says here. He says. In uh, the middle of, uh, let's see, verse 7, he says, uh, This must take place, but the end is not yet. Or the end of verse 7. And then at the end of verse 8, he says, These are but the beginning of birth pains. That's kind of important that we get this because I don't know how many times I have heard this, and I know you have as well, people looking for the signs uh, of the end times will say, man, more wars, more rumors of wars. That's, that's just what the Bible said. Jesus said it's going to be that way just before he comes back. Did he say that? What about all these earthquakes? Have, have you been hearing about all these earthquakes? The Bible said that it's going to be that way just before Jesus came back. Did it say that? Actually, what he says is that these things are going to be happening in their lifetime. This is going to be happening in the first century. And it's not the end. <laughs> it's just the beginning of sorrow. The beginning of birth pains. I quoted, uh, I, I'm using King James words there. King James says it's the beginning of sorrows, but the, uh, the beginning of birth pains. 
And he goes on to tell them about how things are going to get worse and worse until that time when Rome sweeps in and there's going to be a time of, of persecution. There's going to be a time of trouble. There's going to be people that uh, uh, will be killed and uh, persecuted, murdered, and uh, the this is going to be a terrible time. And he says that they should flee. So guess who was spared during that time? The people who didn't believe him were destroyed. And the people who did believe him fled and saved their lives. So here's, uh, I guess this is the last thing I'll say on this tonight. Take heed to the warnings of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Take heed to the Word of God. Live like God said for us to live. Avoid those things. Turn from those things that God said for us to have no part with. And live our lives in accordance with His Word. Lord, thank You for Your scripture for your truth i pray that you would bless these truths to our minds and our hearts and take the scattered thoughts <clears throat> i know they're uh, maybe difficult to hear but i pray that you would take these things and <clears throat> and cause us to study your word more mm -hmm. and to believe it and to live by it in jesus name